This is the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames. Brought to you by Special Needs Family Resources, LLC. For the next hour, we'll be discussing the particular challenges and real-life solutions for families with special needs. If you found us, please know that you are not alone. To find out more, go to SpecialNeedsFamilyHour.com. Now, it's your host, Julie Ames, on AM860, The Answer. Thanks for listening today to the Special Needs Family Hour. I am Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. Our show is dedicated to helping those parents and caregivers who are caring for special people. The theme of the show is the essay, Welcome to Holland, by Emily Pearl Kingsley. Kingsley describes the experience of raising a child with a disability. It's like planning a fabulous vacation trip to Italy, only to realize that your plane has landed in Holland. Holland isn't a bad place. It is just a different place. You must go out, buy a new guidebook, learn a whole new language, and meet a whole new group of people you would never have met. Holland is code word for living life with disabilities. My hope and prayer is that the challenges we face in Holland will make us better people. This has been a good time in Holland for us. Our oldest two daughters, Marie and Christina, are on the autism spectrum and have intellectual disabilities. Our youngest daughter, Anna, is a typical teenager. Maria, for about, oh, six, seven months, has been talking about the 3D Transformer ride at Universal Studios. <laughs> she has played the video. She has watched the ride over and over and over. And we were actually planning a family trip to Universal where they could enjoy it. But um, with my husband had back surgery. He's doing great and he's awesome now. But there was no way he was going to make it to Universal on a Transformer ride. And more importantly, Christina cannot handle the Transformer ride. But I took Maria, and we went on the ride. It was awesome. And this will relate to our show today. But I, we were in line, and there was a man in front of me talking to me. And she was upset with me because she didn't think I should be talking to him. And believe it or not, I did think he was odd. <laughs> and I agreed with her, but, you know, you have to be reasonable. So she's very adamant about who I talk to or not talk to, which is great. Our guest today is a licensed mental health counselor with over 25 years of experience working with adolescents and their parents. She's a registered drama therapist, registered play therapist, and she is a clinical director and a founding board member of Focus Academy. Today we will be discussing healthy sexuality for adolescents, young adults, and with developmental disabilities. Our discussion will include sexuality, what is sexuality, proper words. We will discuss our children as sexual beings. We will talk about them from being less than four years old all the way up to being teenagers, adolescents, and dating. We will be talking about proactive approaches in teaching your child, bathroom etiquette, and of course, dating. And we will also talk about using role play as with your child and teaching them what's proper. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. Please stay with us, and we'll be right back. To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM860, The Answer. Our guest today is a licensed mental health counselor with over 25 years of experience working with adolescents and their parents. She is a registered drama therapist, registered play therapist, and she is the clinical director and a founding board member of the Focus Academy in Temple Terrace, Florida. Today we will be discussing healthy sexuality for adolescents and young adults with developmental disabilities. Welcome to the show. Please introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit about your background and how you became a mental health counselor. Okay, thanks, Julie, for having me. Um, I'm Loretta Gallo-Lopez, as you said. I am, um, right now I'm the clinical director at Focus Academy, and my background is that I actually started my professional career as a uh, special education teacher in New York um, and uh, worked with students with different types of developmental disabilities and did my master's in drama therapy in New York. And when I moved to Florida about 25 or so years ago, um, a, my first job in Florida was developing a program for children who had been sexually abused under the age of seven. Um, at wow. the crisis center, they didn't have a program yet for, for children that young. So um, I was tasked with developing a program utilizing a play therapy approach. Um, so I did a lot of work with younger children. But as a result of the fact that I had an ESC background, special education right. background, and um, had been working with younger children, I often got referrals of um teens and uh, children and even sometimes young adults with developmental disabilities because there really wasn't someone in the, in the um, clinic who had expertise in that area. Uh, so over time, I wound up developing um, that as an area of expertise is just really working with individuals with developmental challenges who had either been sexually abused or had um, acted out in some way um, right. and working with their families as well. Right. Well, one of the things I think is wonderful about you and you, the listeners, you may recognize Loretta Gallo-Lopez from our drama therapy show because Loretta Gallopas is also a drama therapist, and you were one of the first drama therapists. Well, I was the first. I had the first <laughs> master's in drama therapy, actually. In, uh, in uh, yeah, the first master's in drama therapy. I graduated from NYU when the program had just started, and I was the fir- only person graduating that year. So yes, I was the first. <laughs> the first drama therapist in the United States. Yes, so, many many more have followed, but yeah. Well, Loretta is wonderful, and she's worked with our girls, and she's done an excellent job. My girls have done, they do such a wonderful job of advocating for themselves. And Loretta will do trainings, and I went to her training on healthy sexuality for adolescents, and it was wonderful. And so I'm so glad you could be, that you're here today and that you can help us with this. Um, If we talk about, when you did your training, you talked about what is sexuality, and I love the definition that you had for that. It was really, it was really great. Well, it's actually a definition that comes from the World Health Organization, and it reads, sexuality is an integral part of the personality of everyone, man, woman, and child. It's a basic need and an aspect of being human that cannot be separated from other aspects of human life. Sexuality influences thoughts, feelings, actions, and interactions, and thereby our mental and physical health. Yes, and I know for me with my with our girls, it was just so, um, because they were so young mentally, it was surprising to me that they still developed this just like their peer group would develop. So they still had came, the hormones. We still went through everything, even though it's at a different intellectual level. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point. It's probably one of the most important points for people to really understand is that it doesn't matter where your child is developmentally. Our bodies develop in the same way. So it makes it even more important to some extent because their bodies are developing and responding to their environment 
um, and they're not necessarily understanding what's going on unless somebody directly teaches about these issues. So it is really, really important that we do from a, starting out even just from a safety perspective, because in order right. for our kids to be safe, um, they have to have some knowledge and some language to be able to understand what's going on with their bodies. Right. And when you did your presentation, you talk about using proper words. And for the show, we're going to use the word private parts. And Loretta is going to provide the briefing that she gave at, that she gives at her seminars. She's going to provide that and we will have it available online. It should be up by Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to meet with my webmaster and we should have that up. So you will have all the exact information that Loretta is providing and in more detail where you can review it, print it and use it for your own purposes. And that's so. another really important point, Julie. So thanks for bringing that up because I think you know when we talk about the language that we provide for our you know young adults, children, adolescents with developmental disabilities, we we want to make sure that they have language and words to describe what's going on with their bodies and maybe even if something has happened to them in a way that other people can understand. And one of the things that happens with families, all families, um, not just families of of children with developmental challenges, but we have cultural words or we have right. family words that we use to describe the parts of our bodies and things like that that other people don't really understand. So if something has happened and your child is trying to then explain that to someone else and uses a word that no one else has ever heard of, right. it really puts them at risk. So it's that that's why it's really important for them to have a vocabulary that they can utilize that can be understood by others and a way for them to be able to even understand what's being said to them sometimes too. Yes. Well, I was surprised at your training. I think we came up with over 100 words and they were words that I had never heard right. of. That's true. We, so, did, we did an exercise, which was embarrassing for some of our, our participants, but yes. it was a really important exercise to be able to think about the different kinds of words that we as families sometimes use and how no one else would know what your child is talking about right. if they're using that word. And, so. and with your counseling, I'm sure that was very difficult trying to figure it out, especially right. when you're dealing with intellectual disabilities. Absolutely. So. And so sometimes it really was hard to, to help um, a, a child to be able to talk about something that might have happened to them or even to help them to understand certain things um, if their their vocabulary didn't include words that um, could be utilized and understood by all. Right, because um, oh, we were talking earlier, I watched a, um, a series, it was a, a Law and Order, where a Down syndrome girl was doing her transition work program at the grocery store. And the manager was abusing her, but he called it exercise. Mm-hmm. And she didn't have any words. Right, so she so. wouldn't have had words to be able to describe even what that was. And if she used the word exercise in explaining it because that's the word that was told to her, then probably it would be hard for anybody to really understand what was, you know, what actually was going on. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Well, today we're talking about people being sexual beings. And um, I guess we wanted to go maybe into um, uh, self-stimulating behaviors and how that plays out at different age groups maybe. Okay. Or where do you want to go with that? Um, well, I can talk a little bit about that because very often, especially, um, it, it's probably something self-stimulating behaviors when we think about what that is, is something we all do. So we do right. different kinds of things. You know, I'm a hair twirler. Some people tap their foot. Some people tap their pencil. Um, and sometimes some of our students, and we see this at Focus Academy often, the students who um, have either autism or other types of development, developmental disabilities will still self-stimulate in certain ways. Right. And, um, and it may be things that they do, flapping their hands or things like that. But sometimes it's things that are... Um, sexually stimulating behaviors that are not necessarily sexual behaviors. Right. But so I think that helping and, and trying to understand how to manage those kinds of behaviors, because just like with any anything that's habitual, like for me, right. twirling my hair, if somebody said to me, stop doing that, it would be hard for me to do it. Instead, right. I need to replace it with something else. So you want to always think about those behaviors as something that you need to not just try to, to diminish those behaviors, but to replace those behaviors with something that might be more socially acceptable. Right, right. Well, also, um, the 
I liked what you said about self-stimulating behavior, and I don't think people understand this about autism, is that it's a way of organizing themselves at a moment in time. Exactly. And if you think about it, I feel like the best way to really understand it is to think about what we each do in a way that's that's self-stimulating. Um, I mean, I think that that, that word is um, sometimes could be really confusing and to think right. about what that is. But for all of us, that's what we do. So when I twirl my hair, it's a, it's a self-calming for me, and it is a way for me to kind of organize myself and feel a sense of control within that moment. And that's typically what these self-stimulating behaviors are. So again, that makes it even more important to be able to find a way to replace as opposed to eliminate uh, those behaviors. We need to be able to replace them with something that is more um, socially acceptable. Yes, and I just had a flashback. Um, I watched <laughs> The Accountant with Ben Affleck. Oh, that was very interesting. Yes, because yeah. he's <laughs> autistic, but mm-hmm. he's a savant in math. Yes. And and in your presentation, you said by bringing more sensation to the body and decreasing self-stimulating behaviors. In other words, Ben Affleck, after being normal, would go home, blare the music, and then he had um, he would um, roll. He had like rollers for his legs and his arms, right. just because of the sensory input. Right. So it sounds contradicting, but that was self-calming. Exactly. So. And I think that when you're thinking about ways to replace that, doing thinking about those kinds of things, whether it's some type of physical activity, um, whether it's uh, just really kind of trying to even understand what those patterns of behavior are for. What is their, what's the purpose that it's serving? And then right. trying to help find something that they can utilize that might serve the same purpose, that might, might help to um, alleviate that sense of that need for that feeling of control in that, in that moment. Yes. Well, Loretta, why don't we take a break? And when we come back, we'll talk about um, developmentally where kids are and move along in that direction. Okay, sounds good. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. Stay with us. We'll be right back. To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM860, The Answer. Our guest today is Loretta Gallo-Lopez, a licensed mental health counselor with over 25 years of experience working with adolescents and their parents. We are discussing healthy sexuality for adolescents and young adults with developmental disabilities. And Loretta, we're continuing our conversation, and we were just going to get into developmentally typical sexual behaviors in childhood. Right. Um, and, I mean, there's we have I have lists of them, you know, looking at what would be normal behaviors for children under four, four to six, things like that right. in, in different age categories. And um, that's available in the handout, so I'm not going to go through and read every one of them. But there's a couple of things that are really important. One is when you read through this to to understand that these are behaviors that we um, assume that a child can learn independently. So in other words, distinguishing that from something that would have had to have been taught to them um, by someone older with more experience um, or had to have been something that they were exposed to. So these behaviors are things that even though they may seem like they're they're not necessarily appropriate behaviors and they're not necessarily behaviors that we would um, want to um, condone or but but they are behaviors that children can engage in independently um, on their own. Now, for our population that we're talking about, when we're talking about um, uh, whether it's children 
adolescents or young adults with developmental challenges, we're looking at, at two, there's two things to be looking at because one, we're looking at where they are developmentally, right. um, where there's what their social, emotional, developmental level is. And then we're looking at where they are physically, what, where they are physically and how their bodies are developing physically is just like anybody else. Right. So we can have a 16 year old who maybe socially, emotionally is at the level of a five year old, but their body is developing the same as any other 16 year old, which means yes. they're going to have those same responses. Um, and if we don't help them to understand what's going on with them, it's going to be very confusing and they're going to try to find ways to figure it out on their own. Right. Um, and that's the thing that's really concerning. So we want to make sure, excuse me, that we have, um, you know, that we're, that we're giving them some information and helping them to understand. And I think it's very difficult. One of the things that I've found is that a lot of times because a student might be um, somewhat delayed developmentally from the social emotional perspective, it's hard sometimes for parents to see them in that same way or to even accept that they have those same types of feelings within right. their body or same types of responses in their body. Um, and sometimes, um, even, even whether they understand it from that same perspective or not doesn't matter. It's the fact that their bodies are responding and they're going to respond sometimes in an inappropriate way as right. a result of that. Right. Well, I know when the girls were little, I went through the book, The Care and Keeping of You by American Girls, mm-hmm. and um, it was great. I don't think that they necessarily understood it, but within about six months of going through that book, they both went through starting their periods and going through that whole mm-hmm. thing. And the book, I think, helped them. It helped them understand what was happening to them. And the big thing, and my mom told me this, she said, Julie, because it seemed like Maria, the oldest, was going through a lot of hormone things, mm-hmm. personality. Right. And she says, explain mixed emotions. Mm-hmm. And I did. I explained to her that sometimes you're going to be happy. Sometimes you're not going to be happy. Right. Sometimes you're going to be sad. <laughs> and you can feel both at the same time. Right. Yes. And that there's nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. And even for a typical child, that's important to know. You're not going crazy. Right. Yes. So. <laughs> yes. And the hormones, like you said, I think it's the same no matter where a, a child is developmentally, um, their bodies are still responding in the, in the same way as any other 12-year-old, 16-year-old, 21-year-old. Yes. So. And that's what's interesting is is physically they were developing along the same lines. Now, right. I do think the rebellious part or that that edge, the teenage edge, actually came out a little bit later Mm -hmm. than some kids. Right. And you might find that, that some of those things, because that's more of a social emotional, um, that's more on the, you know, looking at the development social emotionally, but the the physical things are things that are going to happen no matter where they are developmentally. It's just, it just is. Um, And they may not understand it in the same way as someone who's typically functioning at that age, but they're still going to feel it. Right. Right. Well, when are sexual behaviors a problem? Okay, so when we really are have have significant concerns are when a behavior is beyond that of what a child can figure out on their own, where we know that this is something that they either had to have seen or right. had to have done to them in order for them to so if they're engaging in a behavior or talking about a behavior that we know, and again, you can refer back to those lists of what we would you know what we would think a, a child can can do independently um, and that's outside of that list, then that's something to be concerned about. Um, if right. the behavior involves threats. So if let's say, because, you know, we always talk about things like, you know, younger children doing, I'll show you yours, you show me mine right, kind of right. thing. And they're, and they're curious. Um, but if those kinds of activities involve threat or force or aggression, right. that's not something that would be a typical um, thing. So that's something we would want to explore further. If it involves something that's harmful, if they're doing something to themselves that is harmful, right. we definitely want to explore that. Um if it's if it, any time that there's in, in any type of interaction going on where there's a difference in age or level of development, 
we want to explore that. So it's not okay. two children at the same age who are just being curious and exploring, but that there's one person who has um, either is developmentally at a much higher level or um, uh, has more power in the relationship. So sometimes, right. um, you know, looking at it from that perspective. So in other words, that's not both. They're, they're not peers who are who are equally exploring. That means that someone might be taking advantage of yes. the other. Um, the other thing that we would want to look at is um, if the behavior becomes obsessive in nature. Obviously, that's that's a concern. Um, if the let's say a parent tries to set limits on specific behavior and the behavior continues, then obviously there's something else going on that we want to explore a little bit further. So those are the kinds of things to be aware of. Yes. Well, I can remember um, the girls and oh, when they were in middle school, one of the boys. It wasn't my child, so it's easy for me to sit here and be calm. But a boy touched one of the girls inappropriately. Mm-hmm. And I felt bad for the boy because I really don't think he meant anything bad by it, but he was no longer at the school. Right. So. Right. And sometimes it isn't necessarily, it's not necessarily meant to be um, an, an uh, aggressive act. Um, sometimes it is just exploring. It's just trying to understand. It's not really. Um, it maybe there. They may be students where those limits have not been um, taught. The right. boundaries and the limits. Those are things that are really, really important um, to be able to understand those limits of physical space, even right. um, and what parts of our bodies are private parts of our bodies, and those kinds of things. Yes. Which again, with our population, needs to be very directly and specifically taught. Um, right. So we can't just assume that they're going to figure it out because maybe you know your older sibling might have, you know, an, an older child might have been able to understand that without a whole lot of direct instruction. Right. Um, the students with, with well, developmental challenges really need direct instruction. Well, what surprised me is that normal teenage time period where a child seeks privacy, mine weren't seeking that privacy. Right. And at this point, they've been taught, like you're going to discuss here, is the door is always shut. And right. with their personalities, you're so obsessive that the mm-hmm. door has to be shut. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you left the door open. And, you know, the door is cracked. It's got to be shut. You know, that whole thing. But right. once you teach them, that's the good news is, for, at least from for me, right. a lot of the kids you deal with is they become obsessive about following the rules. But I'd rather have them obsessively following the rules than yes. not following those rules and being at risk for, you know, for harm yes. or something. So, yes, yeah. yes. Um, okay, so this is what um, I I guess I'm not surprised by it anymore because I've just been over the statistics and read books. There's a great book called Protecting the Gift by Gavin DeBecker and about abuse and situations. And I think it's an awesome book that anyone should read or get it on tape. But um, that the chance of a child likely to be abused isn't the stranger. Right. That's correct. Um, actually, probably um, 90% of individuals, of children, adolescents, individuals with disabilities who are sexually abused are abused by someone that they know. Um, right. Most typically a family member because it's typically going to be somebody who they trust. And with, a, with, with individuals who have developmental challenges – it's going to be someone that the family trusts for the most part because that's right. who that person would have, um, you know, unsupervised access to. Right. Um, so, so, but across the board, most people think that they need to train their child to be afraid of, you know, the stranger on the street. And right. those are, that's scary. And we definitely want them to understand how to handle those situations. But for the most part, the, and the reason it's so much more challenging, for the most part, the people that are, um, you know, that they're the most at risk from are people that they know. Right. Um, and that's a tough one. So well, I, you've done a good job with the kids. Um, 
Maria was in the front yard. She was picking up moss right by the door. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw this flash go by my window. I, I looked outside. I didn't see anything. It was Maria. A strange man had come up to her in the yard. And, of course, I'm upset because I can't see him anywhere. And I'm thinking, we're going to get her in the car and we're going to go find this guy. I go in my backyard. He's in my backyard. It's a Verizon guy. I said, oh, so you're the strange guy in the, in the orange shirt. <laughs> he said, he looked at me. He said, yeah. He says, I went up to her and she just took off running. Which, in that case, it was a stranger in the front yard. Right. And and that would be what we would want her to do. I mean, it's yes. better that the Verizon man was insulted or confused <laughs> yeah. than that, that she was, oh you know, and I think and this is one of the things I'm going to talk a little bit more about is that we need to kind of train using absolutes. We yes. need to train using what is okay, um, as opposed to usually as parents, we tell our kids what not to do. And it's right. really important for us to be able to talk about what is okay. In absolutes. Um, And if that means that, you know, anybody who they don't know is going to be somebody they run from, um, I think that that's okay. Yes. Um, Well, I I thought it was great. And Mm -hmm. he did look strange. His shirt was ripped. (laughs) (laughs) He was dirty. He had a ponytail. And it just, the whole outfit wasn't getting it. (laughs) You could tell he was complete shock. Well, I am here with Loretta Gala Lopez. And she is a therapist and we are discussing um, sexuality issues and adolescence. So we're going to take a break and we will continue this conversation on the other side and talk about being proactive with your children. Great. I'm Julie Ames and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860 The Answer. Please join us on the other side. To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. Our guest today is Loretta Gala Lopez, a licensed mental health counselor with over 25 years of experience working with adolescents and their parents. We are discussing healthy sexuality for adolescents and young adults with developmental disabilities. And we were just talking about proactive approaches you can take with your children, reference their sexuality and behaviors. Correct. Um, one of the things that we didn't touch on before that I just wanted to kind of preface all of this by saying is that, um, you know, we talked about sexual behaviors, but most individuals who act out sexually have not been sexually abused. So right. it's important that parents don't freak out and think if a child is doing something um, or, or it seems to be responding in, in a sexual way to something that they've been sexually abused. Some of it is just a inappropriate response to a normal feeling or situation. Right. Um, but it is also important to keep in mind that students with individuals with disability are four times more likely to be abused, particularly because they are easy victims and easy targets. Right. Um, and they um, sometimes also they rely on others more for their care, even at an older age. So one of the things that makes that the, the importance of that is that we need to be teaching um, some specific skills early on so that we can limit and minimize the risk that right. our, that our, our um, students are, are under. So 
one of the things that we use at, at Focus Academy, we do a lot of work in teaching proactive techniques, how right. to get students to self-advocate and to be as independent as possible. And that's a really important thing. Sometimes it's hard for parents to do because they want to protect and nurture their child. Right. But one of the things that's important, unless that child's going to live right next to you for the rest of their life, sitting next to you, and you're never going to leave them, have right. them out working somewhere or out with others, their needs, they need to have the skills and they have to learn them proactively. So... To me, I guess one of the most important things has to do with teaching self-care and hygiene as early as possible yes. um, because any any individual who cannot provide their own self-care and hygiene is definitely at more risk, especially as they move into adolescence and adulthood. Right. And these are things that are important um, in them feeling independent as well and feeling like they can take care of themselves. We want our students to feel like they're competent. If yes. we continually do for them, then the message we're giving them is that we don't believe that they're competent. And any of our students can learn these things. Unless there's a physical disability that keeps them from doing it, um, they can all learn how to do this. It takes yes. um, proactive teaching and it t- takes a lot of repetition. Um, so I have some uh, some ideas and some things that that we utilize that I think are really important for parents to know. So we start with um, that'd be great. Right. So we so you want to be able to teach it from a developmentally appropriate perspective. Right. That means you're using language and you're using experiences that allow your student, whatever age and developmental level they're at, to be able to understand that. You want to be as direct and concrete as possible. And when I say that, I usually I, I always ask parents to talk from the perspective of what is okay as opposed to what's not okay because there are less um, ways to misunderstand that or misinterpret it if we know these are this is what's allowed. Right. So as opposed to, um, well, you can't do this or you can't talk to, to, to somebody, a stranger, or you can't show this person your body or things like that. So we're talking about who, what is appropriate and what is allowed. Right. And in doing that, I think it's really important for the adults in a household to first have a conversation and be very clear about what the rules are in each family. What are the right. rules? What are the expectations? And teach the same and have those same expectations at home as you would want to have out in the community. Because it's really confusing for some of our students when they have one set of rules at home and then they're expected to to, to um, behave in a, another way at home at, right. and out in the community. So I think things like where it's okay to not have your clothes on, right. um, closing the door when you're using the restroom or changing your clothes, um, even things like making sure the blinds are closed, yes. those kinds of things that can be taught help our, our population of students to understand um, what's expected and and why we do those kinds of things. And you keep doing them re- repeatedly. You talk about the difference between a right. public and a private place. Um, there's ways to, you know, to again, doing it out in public and using the examples, um, teaching students how to use a robe um, at home right. and the, the fact that we cover up even at home. So those kinds of things are really important um, for our students to know and to be taught Oh, even over and over again for as often as you as you have to do it until they really start to understand it. Right. So so some of the things that that I think are important for families to to remember and understand again is be consistent and repetitive. Um, so you want to repeat over and over again, um, and you want to again, like we talked about before, ex- develop acceptable vocabulary and language for body parts and words that um, will enable your child to ask questions and to know who right. and how to talk about these issues. Right. Um, we want to talk about privacy. We want to talk about um, who can help with hygiene. So if a, if right. your student is someone who does still need some support. 
who is it okay? You know, who who is allowed to help with with those things? Who is allowed to right. touch the private areas, whether it's the doctor with a mom in the room, things like that. But be again very specific. You want to talk about the differences between appropriate versus inappropriate touch. Now, that's something I like to use the words appropriate versus inappropriate right. as opposed to um, good touch and bad touch, because I think that one of the things that happens when we use a term like bad touch, if a student has been touched in some way or an individual, a child has been touched in some way, and they think of it as bad, then sometimes they assign that word to them as well. Right. And sometimes they might not be willing to tell because they'll think that they get in trouble. Just like when a parent says, don't ever allow someone to touch you there. Well, sometimes children don't have the ability to allow right. or not allow. So instead, if we say, if someone touches you in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable or is inappropriate, this is what you need to do. So we're giving them the tools to be able to communicate that, but we're taking the um, the blame or the responsibility from them so that they are willing to tell and they understand. Um, because yes. also what happens sometimes for for children and adolescents, especially those with um, developmental disabilities, kind of like this, this the um, example that you gave um, law from, from Law and Order, is that there is somebody sometimes who's taking advantage of that um, that developmental level that they're at right. and maybe using um, ways of um, talking them into something that maybe they wouldn't do in, in any other way. But if they don't have a way to be able to talk about it and understand it, um, and then they feel guilty because they feel like this was something that, you know, that they did that was wrong, right. then they may not be willing or able to tell. So it's really important yes. to think about the language that you use when you're when you're talking. Um, so those are the kinds of things I think talking about boundaries, um, well, what, what if, to do when, yes. when if something does happen, giving them an idea, giving them some very clear solutions as far as what to do. Well, you did a great job on public restrooms. And I had never thought about teaching them how to behave in a public restroom. And if you could talk about that. Well, I think this is a, a definitely a very important one because public restrooms, even a school restroom is a public restroom. Correct. It's a restroom where there's going to be other people. It's not in your home. So if students don't know or children don't know how to interact in there, most parents might think, well, I'll always be in the restroom with them if we're at the mall and they go in the bathroom. That's not necessarily true. Right. If your student's going to be out working somewhere, there's going to be a time that they're going to be in a public restroom. And even in school, um, it's not typically appropriate for an adult to be in the bathroom, in the restroom with students. They might be standing outside, but they still need to understand those kinds of things. So again, you want to have the same types of rules outside your home as inside your home, but being very specific and clear about what to do, what's okay, what's not to do, talking about multi-stall etiquette. In other words, you know, what to do when you're in a bathroom stall and what not to do, which stalls to use. The same thing for boys with urinals, which when it's appropriate, um, what to do like you know, we're not going to be looking over at the person in the other <laughs> stall or talking to them or right um, or talking and, to yourself right or even things like we've had we've had boys at the school who when they first came to us they would pull their they'd be in a urinal and pull their pants all the way down to the floor because this is what they do at home right so teaching them that you know these are not the you know and again right. if you can teach the same rules at home that you expect out in public right. it makes it so much easier for our kids to really kind of understand what's expected and yes. to not have that sense of confusion about it and, so yes and i liked what you said don't pick the urinal or the stall right next to the right. only other person in the bathroom right and again yes. being out, being able to go out there and teach these things in real world circumstances is the best way. You can give examples at home, you can practice it at home, but going out into the world and practicing these things is is really the best way for our students to start to make have it make sense to them and for them to understand it. And they definitely can learn it. So 
Yes. Well, why don't we do this? Why don't we take a break? And when we come back, I'm here with Loretta Gallo-Lopez, and we're discussing sexuality issues for adolescents and young adults with developmental disabilities. Maybe we could touch on dating. That would be great. <laughs> we'll touch on dating, <laughs> okay. and, then, and then we'll finish up with resources that you can get to okay. continue your education. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM860, The Answer. Our guest today is Loretta Gallo-Lopez, a licensed mental health counselor with over 25 years of experience working with adolescents and their parents. We are discussing healthy sexuality for adolescents and young adults with developmental disabilities, and we're continuing our conversation Okay, we were talking before about how to teach these things and the importance of of direct teaching and being right. very clear and consistent so that the rules and the expectations are clear and consistent. Now, sometimes when I've done this training um, with families who have um, students who maybe have limited verbal skills right. or their cognitive disability is much more severe, sometimes it's hard for them to think about, well, how can I do this? How can right. I teach my child this when it's hard for them to communicate with me? Um, and I think there's many different ways to do that. And one is yes. to use um, to use visual schedules and picture boards to start with things like just helping them to understand and have words to to um, uh, or visuals to help them to understand or to, to point to parts of their bodies or visuals that talk about private versus public places yes. or all the things that we've talked about, but doing it in an experiential way. Um, and doing it using something that's a visual uh, schedule for them to be able to understand that. Yes. So I think that's an important thing to not think that just because um, uh, maybe they don't have um, significant verbal skills or things like that, that you're not going to be able to teach these skills. I think they can be taught. Right. So. And that's so important. You, right. you can People can learn regardless of what their verbal abilities are. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the next thing we wanted to talk about, you mentioned talking yes, about dating. dating. So so the, the thing that's important, um, I know for some par- parents, they probably hear the word dating and they're freaking out and thinking, no way, that's not going to happen, <laughs> but it is going to happen. And they are going to feel, you know, we have students at the school who have crushes on each other at every level of functioning. Yes. So it's not just the kids who are more independent, who, you know. Um, it's at every level of functioning because, again, it's a normal thing that we go through, that sense right. of connecting with others. you know. And one of the things that we work on and focus a lot is that's, that sense of social connection because we feel like it's so important. And one of the outcomes of that is that our students do start to develop a greater interest right. in the opposite sex, in dating, in, in things like that. So I think one of the things that's important in getting to that point and for families to start to feel comfortable with it is to think about helping helping your child to understand the different relationships and the people in their lives and and the different level, let's say, of physical closeness or the different level of touch that's appropriate. So one of the things that's included in the handout that I've done is what yes. we call a um, – uh, social circles of relationships and it really right. just allows you to, to to help your child to understand um, that they're that we we interact with people differently depending on what their relationships are to us right so from that segueing into um, 
dating. <laughs> yes. um, I think the first step, again, is as parents to establish a very clear understanding and definition of what dating is in your household. Um, and whether that's something that is allowed, at what point it's allowed. Um, when we think about dating, we want to, you know, most of the time for our students, they're dating at school, which means they hang out together right. or they call somebody boyfriend right. or girlfriend. Um, but sometimes they are getting together outside of school. And I think that it's really important for parents to think about, do they have the skills and the understanding to be able to be safe if I let them go into sit in a movie together or um, go hang out at the mall together or things right. like that. Most of our students and most students who have some level of cognitive disability really need some supervision and they need to be in a, a more supervised setting to be safe. Um, I think it's important to be able to look at the level um, of uh, independence and level right. of functioning of the person to make sure that the that this isn't a relationship that's where they're on equal footing right. and they're and one cannot take um, you know advantage of the other. I think those are really important. But crushes and things like that are really just a part of becoming an adolescent and becoming an adult. So I think it's really important um, that we accept that this is a reality because if you yes. just ignore it, um, it's not going to go away. It's going right. to be there. So better that our kids have some understanding. They have a set of rules and guidelines that are very, again, consistent and proactive and and positively focused. In other words, what is allowed? We don't want those gray areas. Well, maybe this or maybe that. Right. We want it to be very clear on what's allowed. Um, and one things, one of the things that we talk about at, at Focus, because we are a high school, is the over 18 law and the fact that there's mm. a law about that. And we do have students, just like in any high school, where you're going to have students under 18 and students over right. 18. And because our students really need that absolute in the, in the rules, we talk yes. about that, you know, whether dating is not allowed for people over 18 and people under 18 because once you turn 18 you're an adult right. and adults and children do not date they can be friends they can have other types of relationships but that's not allowed and i think it's an important way for for our kids to keep safe and to understand um uh, those kinds of things and again keeping it very specific yes um so um one of the things that that would come from that is the idea of um social media because right. many of our students who do date, as they might call it, they text each other, they're, right. um, they're online with each other. Um, and I always feel like uh, you start with those things with the highest level of supervision. And then yes. as you feel like your, your child has d developed a level of responsibility and understands those rules and follows those rules consistently, then you can have less and less um, supervision. But I... I tried. I explain it as if you have a child who's allowed to text another another child without any supervision, it's like unsupervised contact, and you right. probably wouldn't allow that. Right. So I think it's really important, and many of our students can be easily taken in by people. So the whole yes. issue of social media and media in general is a really important one, and one that we want to make sure um, that parents really kind of have some control over. Yes. Well, we've done a show with Hillsborough County Detective that will that goes into detail about that. That's great. So we've got that. Um, are there some books that you would recommend to the parents? Um, there's a lot of things out there. I mean, you have to find something that's, that works for you. One of the things that I like especially is the book Sexuality Across the Lifespan, and that's put out by the Florida Developmental Disabilities Council. It really um, kind of gives – some of the information in there is is very um, – open and right. um, and there's some 
some pictures, but they, they give some very clear directions and some lessons and things like that. So I think that's a really good one for girls, something to start with, because sometimes you want to start with something that just begins to, to explain, um, you know, these concepts. Yes. So something as simple as you, I think you had the brought American up the girl. care and keeping of, of you, the, the American yes. Girl books. There's another book that's called um, Boyfriends and Girlfriends, which is about dating for right. individuals with disabilities. Um, which talks about different things and and um, and helps to even outline whether someone's ready. What are the skills that they need to have right. in order to be ready to date? Um, so those are the kinds of things that um, you know that we would right. be looking for. Well, we'll put that on the website, and this whole um, presentation will be on the website. Uh, give me till about Wednesday, and you should find it there. <laughs> I'm going to meet with my webmaster Loretta. Thank you so much for being here for sharing. And for all that you're doing for kids and all that you've been doing for the last 25 years, I can't imagine actually um, working with kids and sexual abuse and just the trauma. And I'm so glad you're at Focus because you've done such a great job with my girls and to don't touch me. Mom, you touched me. And oh, my goodness, it never ends. I'm glad that's working. That's yes, good. yes, it is working. <laughs> This is Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. Please join us next Sunday at 1 o'clock. Thank you for listening to the Special Needs Family Hour. If you've missed any part of today's program, you can get the podcast of this and every show at specialneedsfamilyhour.com. While there, please take advantage of the resources we made available. And if you're so inclined... Please support the advertisers that support this program. More than anything, just know that you are not alone. And we invite you to join us next Sunday at 1 for the Special Needs Family Hour, only on AM 860. The Answer.